before we start, we'd like to take a moment to dedicate this episode to Fahim Saleh, the founder and CEO of Nigerian ride-hailing company Gokata, who was killed in New York City on July 13th. I had the opportunity to interview Fahim in late June, what ended up being just two weeks before his death. And with the approval of Gokata and his family, his insights feature in this episode. In a statement released by his family in the days after his death, they said, quote, Fahim is more than what you are reading. He is so much more. His brilliant and innovative mind took everyone who was a part of his world on a journey, and he made sure never to leave anyone behind. My interview with Fahim was filled with energy and zeal and a strong belief in the opportunities in emerging markets. And the loss of Fahim is a loss for the Nigerian ecosystem and anywhere else in the world he planned to build and invest in startups. Our heartfelt condolences go out to his family and the entire Gokata team. I found it interesting how some markets that are literally neighbors can be so opposed, right? Like if you compare Rwanda to Uganda, it's just two completely different healthcare systems. Same thing with Tunisia and Morocco, actually, they're super, super different. That's Alexi Roman, the head of strategy and new markets at Helium Health. And a market like Nigeria is extremely similar to Indonesia. Like the similarities are uncanny. And so I think that opens up a different question about, do you need to expand in your region or can you look for higher growth and more revenue and, and I guess a, a, a more logical expansion in a complete different market? And I think the answer is yes. Last episode, season two, episode two, we discussed how startups and entrepreneurs in Africa are looking at expansion. And in particular, this very topic that Alexi is discussing, African startups expanding to other markets across the global South. What became very clear to us is that we're in a business that really requires a s- scale and that requires being in a large country, large in terms of population, large in terms of GDP. That's Tayo Obiosu, the CEO of Paga, who we heard from last episode. And so that led us to actually looking around the world and trying to figure out where are, they, are these problems of use of cash, access to finance, still very big problems. I eventually got on a plane and went to India, I went to Indonesia, Philippines. Mexico, and eventually honed in on Mexico. So Mexico is the next market we're launching. Given the apparent similarities between African markets and other emerging markets across Latin America and South Asia, it follows that, beyond just expansion, there are lessons to be learned and knowledge to be shared between entrepreneurs building in more similar environments to each other. Here's Catalyst Fund's Mylise Carraro, who we heard from in our episode about venture building earlier this season. We recently connected a company in South Africa with a company in Nigeria with a company in Brazil. And you'd be surprised about the similarities when you think about serving the low-income demographic with a difficult value proposition, which is savings, and kind of the behavioral challenges you have to overcome. And those lessons learned across markets are really helpful for the entrepreneurs. So what else about Mexico, for example, has Paga compelled to expand there as its next market after Nigeria? or other startups from emerging markets outside of Africa looking to the continent for growth opportunities or lessons? And what are some of those lessons and benefits of a more connected global South? Let's find out. You're listening to The Flip, the podcast exploring more contextually relevant stories from entrepreneurs around Africa. Welcome back to The Flip. I'm your host, Justin Norman. Last season, episode seven of season one, 
we explored the investment mandates of venture investors focused on Africa, and in particular, their pursuit of scale to make investments in startups that have the potential to achieve a certain scale. It's this scale that, in part, compels startups to expand to other markets, the topic of last week's episode. So what does that mean for a startup in Nigeria, for example, that's being built in Africa's largest market by population size? When you solve the problem in Nigeria, <laughs> which has the unfortunate reputation for being a tough place to do business, it kind of sets a, a precedent for where else you can do business. That's Adia Soho, formerly the VP of Growth for Nigerian fintech Migo. But, you know, from Nigeria, where do you go? Do you go to East Africa? I mean, there are lots of, there are lots of similar services in terms of credit provision in East Africa, right? With Safaricom being dominant. West African markets are pretty small. The question of where do you go was one posed by Tayo and Paga as well. As the nature of Paga's business requires a certain scale, the next biggest market after Nigeria on the continent is Ethiopia. I'd say anybody who understands, who knows Mexico and who knows Ethiopia, actually forget Mexico, anybody who knows Ethiopia, and I told you, I'm looking at Mexico and Ethiopia, the one you should question me on is, is Ethiopia. <laughs> it is not the easiest place to do business. That's just a reality. For Migo, given the nature of their credit as a service model, requisite market dynamics, and the opportunities elsewhere in the world, they've opted to expand to Brazil as their second market after Nigeria. In the case of Migo with Nigeria and Brazil, matching the problem. So Brazil and Nigeria have an, a nearly identical number of unbanked people in their countries. I think Nigeria has 90 million, Brazil has 100 million. And the reasons these people were locked out of the systems were, were quite similar. Just no credit infrastructure was available to serve last mile retail. But going to Brazil is also a function of having the requisite skill set and local relationships to execute on a strategy. One also has to look internally to see what you're good at and, and where, you know, the combination of your skill sets makes the most sense. I think the, the right mix of sort of similarity in the problem, Migos capabilities resonating and having the right relationships, it all just came together in, in Brazil. And the similarities are not just from a market size and consumer behavior perspective, but also from an intangible and cultural perspective too. And I think maybe the other thing is just, it's uh, the culture is very similar to one I recognize <laughs> coming from Nigeria. It's a very welcoming, family-oriented culture when it comes to negotiations. It's about, you know, winning, <laughs> winning the deal. I recognized it a lot. Yeah, I felt, felt at home. I feel at home. And to be sure, the recipe for expansion success is relatively the same no matter what market you're going to, whether in Africa or outside the continent. I don't see the question to us as any different than how did Google come launch in Nigeria, right? Our view of it is that, look, we're going to have local teams who understand the local market, understand the nuances very well, and have them run the business. And, you know, at the group level, we'll be able to share the learnings, the things that we've done that, or the mistakes we've made in, in Nigeria that we shouldn't make there. But otherwise, I think it's, it's really about building a local business. And for Migo, that made expansion less about the individual country and more about the specific opportunity that a given market provided. So it, it was less a case of making a decision on the country. It was more making a decision on, okay, if we see this opportunity, then, then that's it. That's the move we'll make. While the nature of geography and proximity may exacerbate the unfamiliarity with other emerging markets around the world, I think other startups coming to African markets from other emerging markets is further evidence of the similarities and benefits of a more connected global self. 
I'm Fahim Saleh. I'm the CEO of Gokada. Upon spending his formative years in the U.S., Fahim moved to Bangladesh in 2013. I was looking at Bangladesh because my parents are from Bangladesh. I speak Bengali, and I realize this is a country of 160 million people. And there was nobody really investing in technology there. Upon moving to Bangladesh, Fahim launched a venture factory called Hackhouse, which was building and testing a number of different products. One in particular, an e-commerce logistics platform called Batao, was gaining more traction than the rest. After Fahim and Hackhouse opted to work on Batao full-time, an investment from a prior investor in Gojek, the Indonesian ride-hailing company, pushed Batao from an e-commerce logistics company to a ride-hailing company as well. He told us, you guys should try doing motorcycle taxis. It does really well in Indonesia. There's a lot of traffic in Indonesia. There's more traffic in Bangladesh, in Dhaka, the capital city. Motorcycle taxis are a cheap and fast way to get around traffic. Though there previously wasn't a motorcycle taxi industry in Bangladesh like there was in neighboring countries, the conditions in Bangladeshi cities ultimately enabled a market to be created and to thrive. Usually you see these in economies where there's a lot of traffic, there's a booming population without you know improving infrastructure at, at the same scale of the population growth and where they're looking for cheaper transportation alternatives. Indonesia made sense, Nigeria made sense, Bangladesh, it also made sense, but it was never informally practice. So they started with a test. We tried to do an experiment. And this was even before Uber came to Bangladesh. We literally had to buy 20 bikes and hire a full-time motorcyclist just to get a pilot going. And the first pilot was just a Facebook group and people ordered rides on the Facebook group and we connected them with one of our full-time motorcyclists. And everybody loved it. People were like, why wasn't this here before? And within two years, probably from you know, 2016, when we got that investment to 2018, the company you know, went from doing a few rides to tens of thousands of rides. And they were at like a $100 million valuation. Gojek came in for their Series A. Now, before we get into the launch of Gokata, it's useful to highlight that what made Batao successful in Bangladesh was a requisite set of conditions. Although they weren't digitizing and better organizing an existing market, it was ultimately these sets of conditions that allowed there to be a market. And these conditions exist in other emerging markets, of course, which compelled Fahim, after selling some of his Batao shares, to start looking at where else in the world these conditions were right for ride-hailing with motorcycle taxis. It's like, okay, why don't I think about another market I could go into and do something similar to, to what Batao is doing? Maybe there's other markets out there that could use structure in the motorcycle taxi industry. And literally, I just, you know, I went on Wikipedia and I just did a search on population numbers. Bangladesh is like number eight with 160 million. Nigeria is number seven with like close to 200 million. And I'm like, okay, Nigeria, that's interesting. And beyond top line population numbers, Fim was looking for other market dynamics. I was looking for a place with a lot of traffic. Then I just typed in things like Lagos traffic into Google. And I just saw all these articles. And yeah, just a number of Okadas in Nigeria. I saw this number 8 million, right? 8 million registered Okadas, which is like, you know, it's like 5% of the population. That number just astounded me. And I was like, okay, well, this is, this is something I have to check out. After spending some time in Lagos and sussing the situation on the ground, as Fahim launched Okada, he was quick to learn the different dynamics of the Okada industry in Nigeria compared to the industry in Bangladesh. Despite the differences, Batao and Gokata were actually launched using a similar strategy. We quickly realized that 
you know, aggregating these Okadas to basically aggregate all of them efficiently, like Uber would do, or Bato did in Bangladesh, it'd be incredibly difficult for a startup to, to do off the, off the bat. And seeing the challenge in aggregating the already pre-existing supply, I, I decided instead to create our own supply. And, and then at, at, at a later time, when we were more mature as a company, we could focus on aggregating these Okadas. But the starting point of that model was basically from our prototype at Batao. Now, while Gokata and other mobility companies have run into some speed bumps, both related to Lagos state regulation and certain competitors coming in and flooding the market with subsidies, it underscores the vital importance of taking a local and contextualized approach to business building. And in exploring and evaluating these opportunities, though operationally they require contextualization and localization, of course, investors are leveraging comparables from other emerging markets. I, I consider what other comparable companies are, not just in Africa, but across other emerging markets. That's venture investor Shiku Mugambi of IFC's venture capital team. And one privilege that we have is that we have access to like lots and lots of data. And so we're able to actually benchmark a lot of business models that we find here in sub-Saharan Africa across a wider portfolio in other emerging markets. It's a unique opportunity for Africa-focused investors like Shiku, where other emerging markets are similar in their stage of development, but may be a few years ahead of what we are seeing in the tech ecosystem in Africa. We'll typically you know, assess how business models have evolved in other emerging markets to kind of uh, recognize potential patterns for existing portfolio companies. So let's say a company started off with one particular revenue stream, and from that, they were able to naturally extend their product to include two or three other services. Then we can quickly, you know, tap into those lessons and share them with our portfolio companies and, and see if that makes sense for this particular market or what needs to be tweaked or changed. And in Shiku's experience, these lessons go in both directions. And even even vice versa, there's lessons that we can take from our African portfolio to our portfolio companies in other emerging markets. This raises an interesting question. As we're starting to see African startups expanding to Latin America and South Asia, and likewise companies from China, for example, coming to Africa, what does it mean for the strategies and opportunities for emerging market startups, both from Africa and from outside of the continent as well? It's that topic and more that my B-Mike Shio and I sat down to talk about in reflection of this episode. Take a listen. I wonder if the only similarity is, or in fact, the only two similarities are market size and underpenetration. Probably. But isn't, aren't those two similarities the, the same similarities within Africa? Not market size. And maybe that goes into a separate question, which is like, you know, there's not there's not really like connectivity amongst, amongst African markets in like a real way. And so if we're optimizing for for both market size and honor penetration, then that means it makes more sense to go to Mexico or Brazil. Yes. And to be honest, my market size and under penetration, as far as any metrics go, are pretty good ones, right? But I, I do see where you're trying to go. And I think it's a, it's a smart question. I just don't think it's as obvious as you want it to be, which is that like, oh, the, what matters is prevailing conditions versus Africa. Like, it's not, not to say that we're all the same, but it's just like there are cultural and environmental factors that contribute to what is 
the end um, product and who the end people are. And to, to me, it is way more likely than that it is going to be close to your neighbor than it is going to be like all the way in South America. But the, that also doesn't really matter, right? Like, are we, we're going to talk about like culture, culture that drives consumer behavior. No, but that is a thing. That is a, that's, that's a thing. Save, saving, what do you call those stock velds and things like, like it is, it is, it is a cultural, and there is a massive cultural aspect, you know, credits and how people um, think about that culturally. It is, and a massive thing, but I, I think that really the big thing is that big market size under penetration, it is worth figuring it out. I think what we're talking about is that in this world of like big tech, money raising, scale, blah, blah, blah game, if you want to find the market sizes, you have to find the market sizes. Yeah. The parameters are different. Yeah. You're just not going to really find them next door like you might have to travel quite far to find the right market size that allows you the that makes it worth a lot of the mistakes you're going to invariably have to make and i think you're dealing with the the high caliber of entrepreneurs that can work it out so let's let's say f- just for argument's sake that you know it's it's one degree easier to first a nigerian company to expand to kenya the market size variable perhaps makes it more worthwhile to expand to Mexico given, you know, the formula, let's say, right? If it was market size times ease of expansion times under penetration equals output. Yeah. You know, something like that, I think is, uh, is actually the, is, is the, the crux. I do think it's, it's really interesting. And I'm watching, um, watching with quite keen attention just how how a lot of these guys are playing that what do you call it global south play like I, I think it's it's great it's, it's it's export you know and I think that's awesome and this is a question I guess will be interesting to chat about like what ends up being our comparative advantage I also like I don't I don't know the answer to this so I'm just uh, it's an interesting thing to watch like to see how it happens because we we also just don't know the the depth of the IP of all these players like I imagine it's deep. I imagine it's deep, honestly. So I, I just I, I wouldn't be able to articulate what it might be. There's something interesting to say about like, you know, Mego as a credit as a service provider, like the 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 network effects of their data. I mean, that's where like I don't know, does a does a data set of Mexican consumers and Nigerian consumers have a multiplier effect, you know, or or make the value of the IP like exponentially greater. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I can see that. You know, you have the, the like, what were we talking? You remember that complexity we were talking about? Mm-hmm. I, I think that also like translates into value, mm-hmm. right? You know, if, if you can, it's like ability to, to solve the more complex equation, I think gives you or makes you more valuable. And then I suppose the question is, are more people going to start applying this equation, right? What does that mean if more African startups look outside? And then maybe a corollary to that is, are the reason why we haven't seen many Latin American or you know South Asian or Indian companies coming here yet is because African markets, maybe with Nigeria as an exception, don't pass this equation very well. I mean, there's... <laughs> There's a lot of people, there's a lot more people here than you think, bro. You're not reading the 
the tech in Asia piece about big startup A coming to West Africa or whatever it is, but best believe there are a lot of Chinese firms in technology, media, and telecoms in West Africa. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I agree. Yeah, 100%. They're just, they just haven't, you know, Gojek hasn't expanded here. And just, yeah, just not the, the sexy ones. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's something to be said about like, you know, the most listened to music streaming company is owned by Transin. Yeah. <laughs> They're here, bro. You know what I mean? And, and, and they've done that. They've done the maths. That's a good segue to our China, our China episode. Yeah, nice. That's it for this week's episode of The Flip. As we just alluded to, we have an episode exploring the connection between China and Africa coming up. But beforehand, in next week's episode, we hear from a number of investors across the funding value chain to explore the topic of valuations and the pathway to exit. Thanks as always for listening, and we'll see you next week.